once again is Cinemaholics, but it's a special bonus episode of Cinemaholics. Uh, it's Flixgiving, and you know what that means. We're going to be talking about a movie, just one, and it's a throwback. Um, normally, this would sort of be a last call. We've never done a last call where we've talked about a film from the past, and that film is The Hateful Eight, which came out in late 2015, so about three years ago. Uh, with me to talk about The Hateful Eight, uh, and I'll just say this was a listener request, and we'll get to that in a second. Starting from the internet, Pennsylvania, he's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he is our film critic, Will Ashton. How are you doing? I am okay. I was trying to. One, I was wondering if we actually did do a past episode with the recommendation episode we did, like about a year ago. Which one? Does was that, that count? Like Ooh. where um, I saw The Big Chill and. Maverick saw oh, Deathgasm. Movies, and the end. it was like the movies we've never seen until now. That was a last call. So yeah, yeah it was like a gimmicky episode. Sure. Yeah. No, uh, are we gonna do that? That were like movies that are newer that we're talking True. about for you know that we didn't squeeze into the main show. Yeah. Are we gonna do that this year? I want to. I want to do more episodes yeah. like this. Well, let's see how it goes first. From the broadband yeah. basement, he's our casual moviegoer, uh, and you know he's he's everybody's favorite sound guy. Uh, it's it's Maverick Hines. I. You know, I, I think I'm going to dare to say that I may be the best sound guy who has nothing to do with the sound on this show. <laughs> you just fixed the sound before we started recording. You know how I fixed it, John? I clicked <laughs> one button that said mute with a light next to it. I wouldn't have figured that out. You would have figured it out uh, after you restarted three yeah, computers and Right, your iPad. it would have double the time it would have taken. Um, but that's, no matter, it's good to I, have you here. We're going to be spending Thanksgiving together. I Yeah, you don't got to remind me. I'm already drinking. Okay? <laughs> I just want to get you in a bad mood before we start recording uh, the actual episode. Uh, and actually, we, we have a surprise guest. Uh, he came on last minute, and we're so excited to have him here from the Internet Colorado. Uh, he is the host of the Anyway That's All I Got podcast, and uh, he's a best friend of the pod. It is, of course, Sam Noland. Hello, John. How are you? Sam, I've missed you. That's how I've been. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I've a lot of listeners have, um, but yeah. So I'm I'm back on Cinemaholics once again. That's right, and we're glad you're here because I know you're probably the biggest Tarantino fan. I know, like, you know, perhaps on more of like a well, yeah. It's like we're more like friends. I think I know some Tarantino fanatics, but I'm not as like friendly with them. I guess. I mean, you're the only one who hasn't scared me off. Okay. Okay. Well, you just wait. Uh, Pulp Fiction is still your favorite movie of all time. Still is, yeah. Um, although it's been quite some time since I've seen it, but yeah, it's. I can't think of. I can only think of a couple other things that would maybe top it, but yeah, that's the mm-hmm. one. Okay, well, yeah, maybe maybe we can talk a little bit more about that in a second. Um, I do want to say I was listening to uh, the the precursor to Cinemaholics. For those of you who don't know, was a podcast called Now Conspiring, and I did that show with a lot of great friends. Uh, there, of course, was Mike Overkill, Maria Garcia, Adonis Gonzalez, Kayla Savage, and our Hateful Eight episode, which came out in January of 2016, and I re-listened to it um, out of nostalgia and also because I wanted to kind of get a refresher of my thoughts of that film like right after I had seen it. Um, I was listening to that show, and Sam, that was your first time ever on one of my podcasts. It was the first time you and I ever talked about a movie. And uh, I'll, I'll, I bawled, cried, sobbed, all those words. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah, it's been a long time since uh, since I've listened to that. But I remember it very well. I remember I was I had a Lego Wally toy with me the whole time. Just to... Keep you company. Yeah, just, you know, I, I remember where I was and what I was doing. Yeah, so my podcast 
uh, career has officially now come full circle with the Hateful Eight once again. And you did talk about Hateful Eight on, and I remember it was in your top most suspenseful movies, right? Top five? Yeah, I, I believe it was uh, It was uh, Anthony's number one. Mm, okay. It wasn't even in your top five, though. Would it have been like your top 20 or... Probably, yeah. It's it's uh, it's certainly a suspenseful movie, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, there's there were some other things that I would have rather talked about on that particular day. All right. Well, it's been three years. Obviously, we have a lot of perspective to look back on. Before we get into The Hateful Eight, uh, we, of course, want to thank our patron who recommended this movie. Uh, DeWitt uh, gave us a very generous donation. We've thanked him a few times already. Can't thank him enough. DeWitt, thank you so much for donating to Cinemaholics. And recommending The Hateful Eight for a film for us to talk about. And, you know, everyone, I kind of like this idea of doing a Tarantino movie for Thanksgiving. It feels kind of right. Will, is that, am I crazy? No, I think, well, especially this one, because it's a bunch of people gathering together in the cold weather. And uh, especially considering it's a bunch of people who don't really like or care for each other. It, it feels kind of perfect to talk about this one on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Are you saying I shouldn't make the I shouldn't drink the coffee that Maverick made for me right now? Uh, I'd be a little trepidatious. Yeah. Watch uh, on that note, I gotta say this is an all spoilers review of the Hateful Eight. It's been out for a few years now. Mm-hmm. We're talking about this film in all of its entirety, and I don't think you're going to get much out of this conversation unless you have seen the film. So if you have not seen the Hateful Eight, um, definitely, or if you don't care about spoilers at all, we are going to be talking about this film and analyzing it from all angles and perspectives. We're going to be talking about things that happen in the end, beginning, middle, everything. So this is your one and only warning. And toward the end of this episode, we're going to finish up with uh, some feedback from people that we reached out to online, uh, listeners of the show and friends of the show who let us know their thoughts. So it's not just the three of us, or sorry, four of us. Uh, we're going to be hearing from a range of people on what they think of Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Now I want to throw it to you, Will Ashton, well, Ashton, um, we've never really talked about this film in depth, so I, I don't really know your specific feelings on The Hateful Eight, but uh, get everybody started. Um, you know, Take us back to three years ago. What was your mood going into Hateful Eight, and what was your overall experience with this one, especially the way that you watched it, because that is obviously for this movie uh, a very important detail. Yeah, I saw it I saw it on a morning screening. I think it was like at 10 a.m. Uh, it was like a midweek day. I forget which, but I remember time. being... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, it was my choice at the time they picked for me. But um, yeah, I remember being pretty excited, obviously, because it was Tarantino and it was this going to be this big, grand, you know, uh, three hour experience with an intermission and everything. It definitely reinforced the idea of like an intermission being great for any movie. It's like longer than two hours and 30 minutes or even I, I think even any movie, it's two hours and like 15 minutes. Like just put an intermission right in there. It's perfect. <laughs> You know, you can stretch your legs, you can go to concessions, go to the bathroom, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. So I was a big fan of that. Um, as a film itself, I really liked it. I don't, it it's not, it, it never really reached like the top heights of um, Tarantino for me. I think his earlier work probably was, I would put those above this one. But I really enjoyed it. I think the script is better than Django Unchained. I don't know, I have to rewatch Django Unchained to say for sure, but... I think just the way that he constructs the story is very well told. It's definitely to his strengths as a filmmaker that he's able to put all these characters together who would otherwise be detestable. And you wouldn't want to spend an hour with them, let alone three hours with them. And he keeps it constantly engaging and fun. And I love the movie, especially upon this rewatch. It it likes to take its time. Like it shows that scene with them, like putting the uh, the, um, hammer and nails to door, like, five or six times and like it doesn't mind like doing that like it takes 
it takes things gradual, and I like that it builds that up to suspense, and everything pays off, especially if you rewatch it. Uh, so it's definitely you can tell the film. Uh, it's a film by a filmmaker who knows what he's doing and stuff. Um, a couple things didn't really work as well for me this time, and we'll talk about those I think in a bit. But I don't know. It's it's still entertaining for me, and I still get a kick out of it. Nice. And what what was your letter grade then, and what is your letter grade now? If it's different. Um. What well, this is the third time I've seen it. I I think at the time I gave it an A minus. I probably would. I don't know. I'm between an A minus and a B plus. I don't know. I'm somewhere between there. I'm not quite sure where, but. That's where I land on it. Awesome, awesome. Okay, I want to throw it to you, Maverick Hines. I know that you adore this film. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, yeah, definitely same deal. Like, wh- where were you when you saw The Hateful for the first time? Um, <laughs> I got invited by a friend of mine to go see it. I knew nothing about it. We were at one of the... Er- Which one was this? It was Michael. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, we went you to... Were, you went to the screening that uh, James Franco... Yeah, was, James yeah, Franco yeah, yeah. was at. I was going to say that. Thanks for taking the fun out of my story. Um, I'm so sorry, actually. No, it's okay. We went to one of the um, the early ones where we got, like, a, a booklet. We, we got to see, like, the... It was the 70mm Roadshow, yeah. Yeah, that one. There you go. You did it. Um, and I had no idea, like, anything about it. Michael had told me, it's like, oh, it's about eight mean people. And I was like, cool, let's go. Like, let's have fun. He didn't tell me it was almost three hours long, though. Right. And I, this is your Cinesurber days, right? So you didn't really... This is like the only movie I'd seen in like six months. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I had so much fun with that movie. I, it's like, it's everything I want from a movie. I'm a big Tarantino fan as well. I, I I don't think I've seen a movie from him that I don't like yet. So You've seen all of them, right? Because you did like a Tarantino-thon. I did, I did a Tarantino-thon. I, the only one I don't think I've seen... Um, Have you seen Death Proof? Nope. Okay. Yeah, that might be the only one because I know you guys. I think you guys got to Kill Bill. I've seen. For those of you who don't know, Michael was one of my friends as well. He was on that same episode that Sam was on for Hateful Eight. Mm. Did he do D- Django Chained? Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, that's him. That was him. That was his film before this one. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen Django Unchained. Hmm. Um. So those would be the only two that I, I know. Rectify that. Um. But anyway, uh, I, I have I, you I, seen Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and all those? Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I I, went, I did like was it like six eight months ago? I went through like all of them. I was yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah, I think you stopped at Kill Bill though, and you might have like skipped around a little bit from there. If I'm remembering our conversation about it, it was a while ago. Yeah, I can't. I can't yeah, remember. I just rewatched Kill Bill Volume One the other day. I really enjoyed it again. I love oh, yeah. that movie I, so much. I was gonna say Jackie Brown's. I think the only one of his I haven't seen. Oh, Will I've Ashton. S- I've seen a movie Will Ashton has it. It's it's, it's a the big most, day for me. It's his most un-Tarantino movie. That's what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, sorry. It's okay, John. It's fine. No. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what it is. It's everything I've, like, it's it's just the perfect Maverick movie. Like, it's gory. It's crazy. It's, you know, it was definitely long, but then, and even rewatching it now, I, this is the only movie that I think I can, like, watch halfway, stop, and start it again the next day. I'm very much the kind of person where it's like, if I stop a movie, I'm not going to go back to it, you know, watching at home and stuff like that. That's what I did this time, and, like, I didn't feel like I missed anything, and, like, I don't know. I feel like I think about this movie and I talk about this movie a lot. I don't know. You know, it's probably, you know, it's definitely not like the best movie ever made for a lot of people. But for me, it just really struck something perfect. And it's just like, it's just there for me. Hateful Eight is always there for me. I think it probably just because it makes me feel like a less shitty human. <laughs> Was there a difference though, between the first time you watched it and the second time? Or is it just kind of the same vibe for you? Um, I, th- it's hard to compare, right? Because the, the first mm-hmm. time I watched it was at that 
roadshow. It was a really cool film experience. You know, it was so unique. I had the booklet. I, you know, they had the stuff before the movie. They had the intermission. So it was, you know, a lot different than just watching it on my couch, you know. Um, but as far as enjoyment of the movie, you know, I probably liked it more the second time because knowing what's going to happen. Um, have we gotten into spoiler stuff yet? I basically knowing what's going to happen, like looking at characters reacting in the room leading up to things. I was like, Oh, I never noticed that before. So it's fun to kind of pick that apart. So I had more fun watching it this, this Mm -hmm. third, third or fourth time around. Um, if I hadn't been on your episode before, I probably would have given it an A then, and it's it's still an A for me now. Um, I will say I have I have kind of a fun fact about the hateful eight that I, I'm sure you guys probably know, but um, the scene with the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Martin had lo- Martin guitar manufacturer. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah, a good story. They yeah. they loaned out a post Civil War 1870s priceless one of a kind guitar for this movie and <laughs> it had been written in the script for for Kurt Russell to destroy it but no one told him that um oh. Daisy Domingue was playing that guitar so him destroying that guitar is actually him destroying a like a guitar made in the 1870s post civil war one of a kind it's like a $45,000 guitar that's that he really destroyed and what's uh. what's funny about that is this movie is the reason that Martin Guitar has said we will never loan out another guitar for a movie like they're not doing, uh, they are never doing it again yeah also um when jennifer jason lee daisy domerduke like when she like screams and like looks shocked that's, that's genuine yeah that's yeah. her real reaction because he didn't yeah. know that she didn't right. have the real one and so she was like yeah and they kept it in I yeah it. and i was just reading an article there's a, a website called reverb which is like an ebay for musical instruments specifically um and there's an interview on there where the guy who was in charge of the Martin Museum, who you know handle all the artifacts, he said that they like when Martin told them what happened, they just told him there was an accident. Or sorry, when the cast and you know when Hateful Eight told him what happened, they just told him that something happened. He didn't find out about like because they had <laughs> they had intentionally made it so where like they were going to go up to it, switch the guitar stuff like that. He didn't know about any of that until interviews with the cast and everything had come out afterwards and that's why he was like we're never doing this again because they were just like yeah there was an accident it broke they didn't tell him like oh hey our you know one of our leading people destroyed it they like were super on camera yeah (laughs) super suspect about it so i like the maverick that you added your own maverick spin to that story because obviously like with guitars and music that's your like forte so uh, yeah well i i found that out the first time by watching I, i was watching one of those like compilation videos about mm. I don't know which one I was watching like movie mistakes or something you know like a stupid watch <laughs> 10 mojo and I was like yo um, but I just thought that that's like a $45,000 guitar I mean that's that's a relic it's an art Kurt piece Russell yeah. is legendary for this and many other reasons but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah it's just that so mustache you, too that is a dope mustache but yeah <laughs> of course yeah now Will's putting his own spin yeah. <laughs> but yeah so that's I just love this movie if it's not obvious already like it's just it was made for me it really was. I want to hear your thoughts on the score, but uh, we'll get to that mm. in a second. I've been yeah. humming it all day. We're going to talk about music, obviously, but I do want to hear from Sam Nolan. Sam, when we talked about this movie three years ago, uh, you really liked it. Uh, it wasn't your favorite Tarantino movie that is still Pulp Fiction. Um, tell us, of course, your experience watching this for the first time. I've heard it before. I want to hear it again. But then also, where are you at seeing it again? I think this is, you said this is the second time now that you've watched The Hateful Eight. It was right before we started recording, so pretty quick uh, yeah, really two minutes before we started recording so it really really got it in under the wire it's actually my third time watching it and every single viewing oh, of it here. uh has been radically different from each other um and uh i think it, it's I, I really like that story you told uh maverick because i'm imagining someone in the theater 
like someone, uh, a representative from Martin in the theater watching that scene and then walking out out of anger. Uh, <laughs> but someone thought they just didn't like the movie or something. I don't know. Something about that is, is just amusing to me. That but well, that's, that's probably like the funniest part, too, is I think anyone who would have worked at that museum wouldn't have walked out because they were under the impression that was one of the fake guitars they had ready. Right, yeah. They would have walked out of work six months later when they found out they were duped. <laughs> okay. Well, it all, it all, at least it has a semi happy ending. Um, <laughs> Tarantino's going to make a new movie called Can You Ever Forgive Me, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Sorry. We're eventually going to let you talk, Sam. I promise. That's all right. Hey, we're riffing. It's all right. Um, but the reason I, the reason I bring up that theater thing is because I also saw it in theaters uh, when it first came out for the road show. Um, and this was a very this was a very important movie to me at the time because it was late 2015. I was starting to come into my own as a a, a watcher of movies, if if not a uh, um, someone with knowledge about the art form quite yet. Um, and it was my first uh, Tarantino movie that had come out uh, since becoming a fan. When Django Unchained uh, came out, I had no idea who Quentin Tarantino was. Um, but but uh, by the time this came out, I did, and so it was very a uh, very special thing to me. And I said, I will stop at nothing to see that roadshow cut. And lucky for me, uh, they were showing it at, at the theater, literally five minutes from my house. And this was not something they were doing at every theater, so uh, I was very fortunate to get to see that. And I got the little booklet and everything, and it was really funny. One of the funny things about that is that um, so it was shot in uh, seventy millimeter, which is like a really wide screen. Um, that's Mm -hmm. much wider than it is tall. And somebody up in the projecting booth at the theater I saw it in, uh, messed up. And normally you have like the black bar on top and on and below the, the image, uh, somebody messed up and the image was way at the bottom. And so there was this void of darkness above the movie. Uh, and it was really disconcerting at first, but the movie was so enrapturing that I didn't even care. Uh, by the time it was five minutes in basically, um, and I really, really loved it. It was exactly like, it was sort of, it fulfilled every like Tarantino promise that he's sort of built up over the years. Um, you know, the glorious violence and everything and the great writing and the, uh, you know, just the fascinating characters, everything you've come to expect. Um, and so obviously I loved it. I was at the time, um, I was not as attuned to, uh, looking at like things like subtext and stuff as I am now is just sort of enjoying it on the surface and on the surface it is very enjoyable. Uh, and for that reason, I think the second time I watched it like six or so months later, um, it didn't work as much for me. I watched it at home on Blu-ray and for whatever reason it was just like, Oh, okay. This is just now I know what's going to happen at the end. But besides that, it's just sort of the, the same thing. I was, I still wasn't really trying to read into what's happening. Uh, and that was a little bit over two years ago. So now watching it again, I was like, all right, now with my, I, I look at movies a lot differently now. Um, I'm like, You're what is, what am I chap is somewhat, at least, at least more educated than I was in late 2015. Um, you, you sell yourself short. We won't, uh, you spent the last few years really educating yourself on film. So you you definitely have an opinion that I would consider educated and I trust. So, yeah. Well, thank you, John. Uh, so watching it again uh, several hours ago, um, 
I was like, I was very curious to think, A, is this going to work? And B, am I going to get something different out of it than I did? And I'm very glad to say that I did. I really, really loved it this time around. Uh, it brought me back to that first viewing, um, just in terms of the sheer enjoyment of it, even in spite of uh, everything in my brain telling me like, no, these are despicable people, but they're so fun to watch and stuff like that. Uh, but also there's some very interesting stuff going on in this movie that uh i i wish i had more time to sort of uh ruminate on but i think i'm excited to talk about that sort of other layer that i like to delve into so much as much as i can absolutely i think we're gonna do a lot of that it really helps that we are uh doing all spoilers we don't really have to do the setup and the cast we're kind of doing that more organically but uh yeah so sam what was your letter grade the first time and then we'll skip the second time <laughs> and then just say, like, at this point, where, where are you at with this one? I, I don't remember what my letter grade was the first time. I know I gave it uh, at the time I gave it five stars on Letterbox, which but if you look at my diary from that time, I gave almost everything five stars. Like it's actually I've gone back and looked at it. It's sort of embarrassing how willy nilly I would just throw out perfect ratings. Um, I'm a lot more I'm a lot more critical now, so to speak. Mm. Um but I, so like a, a 2015 five star would be equivalent to like a 2018 uh, four, like a high four. Um, so in terms of letter grade, I, I think I'm going to give it a solid A minus this time around. Hmm. Uh, just like nothing to no huge flaws or anything. Um, it's probably not a movie I'm going to be like, you know, losing sleep over or anything, but that's not to say anything against it. It's, it's a really, really solid movie and very deserving of an A minus I feel. Okay. And, uh, Maverick, did you do your letter grades or do we miss you on that one? Uh, yeah, it was an A for both. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Double A. Sorry. Yeah. I forgot. Double A. Um, yeah. So for me, uh, I'm just going to come right out and say it. I think that the hateful eights, you know, don't do this. I love Tarantino films. Don't do it. Um, for the <laughs> most part. Uh, I think he. I think every Tarantino film features something great about this filmmaker. Uh, one of the things I love about him is that yes, he pays glorious homage to lots of other films, to, from everything from Goddard to you know Spaghetti Western, Sergio Leone, especially in this movie. Uh, he looks back like the Kung Fu movies and puts that into Kill Bill. He he takes things that really were instrumental in his upbringing. Obviously, he was a video store clerk. Uh, he talks. He's he's done stories about how his father was so much about movie trivia, and you just get that sense from all of his movies. That this is a guy who makes films really for the heck of it. So, and I think every every one of his films is like a different greatness to it. Uh, I think Pulp Fiction is it's his most original film. Uh, I think that Django Unchained is his most satisfying film. I think that uh, Kill Bill is his best action film, and and so on. Um, I think The Hateful Eight is absolutely far and away his best script and i think that the script in the hateful eight is the best one in the 21st century i think that the hateful eight is in my opinion a bona fide masterpiece uh it is the rare very rare uh a plus for me oh um and and it really solidified for this because when i first saw the film it was an a Uh, i was kind of between a and a minus uh this, this is a film that really hit me on a lot of deep levels and you know, uh, and to say my experience, I went into this watching the 70 millimeter roadshow as well. I went to a different showtime as uh, you and Michael, but uh, no, I saw this one with Kayla Savage. And same thing. I mean, I have the booklet, you know, in my room. 
And rewatching the second time, um, and this is only the second time that I've seen this film, and um, a lot of that reason is because The Hateful Eight is a challenging film, it's a provocative film, and its criticisms are very interesting to me because, and it, it, honestly, it crystallized for me on this new viewing because when I watch The Hateful Eight, I watch a film, and, and I should say, it, it's very interesting to have seen this in, in uh, very, very late 2015. Um, this was right before the Trump era. And yes, I'm going to get oh, political yeah. because oh, let's do it. This is a very political movie, right? This is about yeah. race, it's about gender, and it's about violence, and it is about America. And about the mistreatment of ancient guitars. I mean, we can't. <laughs> That's sorry, right. I'm not trying to make a joke <laughs> about Guitars as well. <laughs> uh, definitely on a lower level, obviously, than actual human beings. But that said, uh, th- this is a film where a woman um, gets punched in the face many times, gets called a bitch many times, and the audience John said before the Trump era <laughs> laughed at this. The audience before the Trump era watched this movie and felt an uncomfortable permission to revel in the reality that this movie is showing. I think it is a big reason why this movie does not have a lot of fans. I think a lot of people look at this and they say three main things. Too long and the way that it deals with misogyny and racism is unacceptable. And I think the third thing is like people just don't like the flashback to Minnie's haberdashery, which is the only one of those criticisms that I think I kind of mostly agree with. Uh, although I do enjoy that because this movie, is, and I said this in our original conversation, Sam Noland, it's self-indulgent, and that's kind of why I, I kind of love it. <laughs> um, it it's self-indulgent to a T. That said, um, this script... And what it does by putting characters in confined spaces using 70 millimeter and forcing the oppressor and the oppressed to meet face to uh, face to face, eye to eye, and every detail of their faces is realized when you see the violence between these characters erupt and when you see that evocative image of a woman being hanged as the American flag and showing us this is what we are. This is what America actually is. And pre-Trump, that was a very uncomfortable idea that Damn. this is what we were. Childish Gambino over here. You got to remember <laughs> that Quentin Tarantino will really loves like spaghetti one. westerns. <laughs> I'm going to finish my thought. Um, but what are westerns than films that reflect the political realities of the eras that they're made in? The, uh, the westerns of the 50s, John Wayne, Billy the Kid, all of those stories were the Eisenhower Westerns. They were all reflections of the mood of America at that time. The Westerns of the 70s, they were darker, more reflective, and cynical. And then when you look at the Westerns of today, uh, starting with True Grit, um, I would say, which is obviously not just cynical, but actually more overtly political than ever. And then with Django Unchained and now with The Hateful Eight, I think that these are Westerns that are 100% telling us to confront confront our demons and looking at the post-Reconstruction Civil War era and saying it's not over and nothing has been reconstructed. And I adore films that are uncomfortably provoking because they wake you up to the fact that when a woman gets hit for laughs, it makes your audience laugh. And if you're the viewer in there feeling uncomfortable, I think this movie did its job, and it did its job perfectly, and that's why it's an A-plus for me. 
Damn, right, I thought it was going to be louder. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, say that's why this is an asteroid. <laughs> uh, okay. So say this is why it's a ma- I'm not going to give up. <laughs> say it. Um, because it's, it's really good. It was louder that time. Um, yeah, obviously I love the film. Um, oh, you like it? Yeah. So I, I, but I do want to hear from the rest of you because I understand the range of opinions. Uh, I want to hear more of like Tarantino's filmography as a whole though, because I invoked a lot of other Tarantino films. Well, Ashton, we've never had this conversation. What is your favorite Mm. Tarantino film and how do you think it compares to the hateful eight? Uh, I, I don't like that it's kind of cliched, but I do have to say that my favorite is probably Pulp Fiction. Um, I, I don't think he ever really topped that per se, but at the same time, there are a few, like as much as I really liked Inglorious Bastards the first time I saw it, I think that's a film that has grown in appreciation for me, especially the way he crafted that film. I, I mean, that opening scene alone, I think it's one of the best directed scenes of the, this, uh, when did that come out? 2009? 2010, uh, I think. No, it's it's 2009. Okay. Um, yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say this decade, but it, it missed a cutoff. But it, I mean, the last decade certainly. I mean that that scene is just incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like I like Django. I, I like it a lot. I I think I've actually kind of grown to like this movie a little more than Django. Um, but yeah, I, I I think I'm gonna go with Pulp Fiction. Although I do really like the Kill Bill films as well. Mm-hmm. I will say, because I didn't mention, Inglorious Bastards is, I also really like that film, and I think that that's probably his best report, uh, sorry, his best performances um, across the board, in my opinion. Well, you think so beyond um, Christoph Waltz? Because that has I, Eli Roth so. in that. And Eli Roth so. is not giving a good performance to that film. <laughs> um, no, uh, I think all the performances in the uh, the flashcard scene are... It, yeah, it's that's just, true. It's just like a yeah. treatise on suspense and the best possible way to do a scene like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion, obviously. Yeah. I, I didn't think about what the best performances of his films would be. I don't know. I might, I might start to go with Pulp Fiction again for that one as well. It's a strong, yeah, obviously yeah. A strong film or this film actually. I don't know. Cause there's a lot of great performances in hateful way as well. It's hard mm-hmm. to pick between two. Who is, who is your favorite in this one? I know some people usually choose between Walton Goggins, Jennifer Jason Lee, and then, Kurt Russell, but uh, yeah, for me, it's yeah. Um, I don't know. I just something about Kurt Russell really magnetizes me every time I see this film, and I, I do. I mean, obviously, since we're talking about spoilers, like he, at a certain point, he's no longer in the film. It, it obviously still keeps that momentum, but there is something about the film that kind of isn't quite the same when he leaves. I feel mm-hmm. like every time I see it, there's something that, that, that kind of loses me a little bit when he's gone. I feel like even though his character is completely detestable, the magnetism that he brings as an actor in the charisma, I, I, I do really just get a kick out of that performance, but it's probably just the mustache. I think it's really just, just the look <laughs> of the character yeah, that yeah. really intrigues me a lot. I, I'll, I'll stick to that gun. I love, I love the comparisons to the thing, obviously, because very similar film. And I think obviously on purpose that Tarantino was looking at Kurt Russell's performance in that John Carpenter film and, very similar setup to this one. Um, Sam Noland, uh, we've said a lot. And uh, what's, what's your reaction, though, to like really analyzing this film? I mean, and if you can go into more detail of like what sort of changed your opinion between the second and third viewings. Uh, that's, yeah, it's certainly, it's, it's a lot to process um, in such a short time. And I think you really, I think you really hit it on the head because I was thinking like, 2015, uh, late 2015, Obama was still in office. 
there was sort of this prevailing notion, not among everybody, but among sort of the general uh, attitude of the of the country was that we live in more or less like a post-racial America. Does that sound about right? Oh, I have that in my notes. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I, I you do took think a- that Tarantino yeah. called it. And then so now I think that this movie blasts that idea to shreds and it says that oh yeah, it really, we're just it as really bad now explodes. as we were then. Yeah. Uh-huh. Really explodes that idea. Um, and uh, again, like you said, watching it now is a very different, uh, gets a very different reaction. I think one scene in particular stood out to me, which I didn't even like so flew over my head the first two times, not because it was not because I didn't understand it, but because it seemed like just sort of an incidental uh, random scene. And it's the scene where uh, Tim Roth playing uh, a character masquerading as a hangman uh, talks about the notion of frontier justice. Mm, yeah, it's probably one of my favorite pieces of dialogue from this film. Oh, yeah. And I didn't. And it's it really, really hit home with me this time, uh, which is uh, it's the notion that uh, Realized, sort of uh, trying to figure out a good way to word this. Uh, if I sound inarticulate, then uh, forgive me. But it's sort of the notion that civilization has created these rules uh, that can make even the most heinous activities seem acceptable. You know, but you put one little, uh, you apply one change to those activities, and suddenly. It's like barbaric times. And the example that he uses is that uh, it's okay to kill someone as long as a hangman does it. And as long as there's some semblance of, uh, uh, oh gosh, what's the phrase? Uh, Due process applied to the situation. Uh, Whereas if someone's just killed in cold blood, then it's like, oh, that's, well, we're so beyond that. Uh, And yet this is a movie full of more or less frontier justice sort of masquerading. I use that word again as actual justice. And I just, it, it just, ah, man, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out a good way to explain this. I wish it's, it's my own fault for not having uh, more time to ruminate on this, but I think that notion is really, is, is something that could really be used more now than it could at the time because when this movie ended i was really sort of reflecting on it for like two minutes and i realized that there's (laughs) this is a really actually rather pessimistic movie and i think it's so fascinating that it gets that it gets so much joy out of the viewer i think we've all sort of said we've, we've expressed some sort of uh joyous emotion towards it how it's so much fun to watch even though Really, in many ways, it's actually rather uh, critical and rather confrontational about certain things. Um, and uh, I think that's just this. If, if I could, uh, if I had more time to think about it, I'd really be able to explain this. I realize it sounds like I'm making a bad argument, but um, yeah, there's there's something about this movie that if if that is just that is really sticking out to me this time, uh, specifically. It's some of the more, uh, what's the word? Some of the more like broadly entertaining things about it. Like you've alluded to the, uh, uh, the, the violence directed towards Daisy, uh, Domergue is played for laughs most of the time. 
And uh, a lot of it still works, I think. It's just, just there's just sort of an attitude about it that just sort of I, I just can't really help but laugh about it. It's just so it's just so frank in its in its portrayal of sort of this time period. I do get the sense that it's sort of like th- this is sort of like a fictional. Uh, obviously, it's fictional, but it's sort of a fictionalized uh, notion of this time period. How you have all these characters from different, uh, very different experiences. It's right after the Civil War. Um, and they're all sort of living in this tumultuous time, doing whatever it is they can to uh, to get by, essentially. There's sort of this lascivious uh, pragmatism that all the characters possess that really makes it that really makes a character stand out. Um and I think it's it's definitely meant. I think I can't remember the exact phrase, but uh, there's a, a critic one time who said that like there's all period pieces um, are made about the time that they were made and not the time that they were set. Does that make sense? Right. Th- that's what I was alluding to before. Um, and yeah. I, I forget. Uh, yeah. Same thing. I forget who actually said that. But yeah, that was the commentary on the Westerns with the same way. Um, they weren't really reflections of the time of that they were representing the 1800s, the 19th century, as it were. They were really reflecting the time period that they were made in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and so on. Yeah, yeah. And this goes for the future too. There's all all film is political, and it's all criticism, and it's all commentary, and it's all that stuff about the time it's made. Uh, obviously, it can have. Uh, parallels can be drawn to certain time periods. Uh, in fact, almost any time period, really. Uh, because what is human existence if not a perpetual cycle of just people doing stuff, but just slightly different from you know decade to decade or century to century and everything? Uh, and I do think it's very fascinating to watch it now, as I've said many times. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating to analyze this film to see what Tarantino was going for, either intentionally or not. Um, the way that. The, the South is sort of shown and you can look at the conversations between characters as near perfect representations of race relations and what we're really like. And, uh, and in particular, I was always, you know, especially in this second viewing, I was really struck by just how this film is so, I don't want to say anti-American, but it, it's so <laughs> upfront about the violence and the racism that sort of founded this country and every character there is symbolically representing, you know, you can say a lot of different things between women's suffrage. You can, you know, look at the way that, uh, you know, the violence between um, black and white people. And uh, obviously like, you know, the way that Walton Goggins character is really a stand in for the South in general. And if you watch the film through that lens, you really see a sort of symbolic retelling of American history. And it's so fascinating because not only is Tarantino doing that under the surface, on the surface, you have just impeccably entertaining dialogue. And I remember the first time I saw this, it felt like a 20-minute movie, and I stand by it. It's one of those films that, like, you see how long the runtime is at the very end, and it doesn't feel like that, at least not for me. Um, Maverick Hines, I want to, though, before we wrap things up, I want to hear from you technical stuff between the cinematography 
the audio, this is a sensory movie. Mm-hmm. Did it deliver for you on those fronts? Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason it delivered so well for me. You know, I'm not as analytical as you true cinemaholics on the show or, you know, I don't know. I just don't pick up on things. You know, I'm just, I'm not that that guy, right? I'm stupid. Maverick, you, you sell yourself short. I will too. Thank you. Um, that's exactly <laughs> what I expected. Uh, but anyway, so for me to be in a movie like this, I think you said it well. It feels like a 20-minute movie, right? Like Because you're so immersed in a world... Like, I don't... And I said this about a movie earlier this year, too. But I don't often truly ever feel like, oh, I'm in this movie, right? Like, or I'm a part of this. Or I'm in this room. Like, I don't... I don't know. I just don't ever Aside get attached. Like the house with a clock in its walls. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, how could yeah. you not? You walked out with like, yeah, that wearing that kid's outfit somehow. Yeah, it was great. Um, but this is one of the movies where, and I can like, I can say it, and I can truly, truly mean it. Not just for like the punchline of saying it. Is like I really felt like I was in that room watching, you know, Marcus Warren harass a, a general about a fake story and like all this stuff. And I and I really enjoyed that. And that really has a lot to do with the sound editing and in, in this like diabolical score which is just amazing like it's amazing like it's so simple you know marcona yeah it's you know it's like seven notes right and like that's the score and i I love it and it's just i don't know the setting was so perfect and you know I, i went through that that tarantino you know blast a few months ago that we talked about and one thing i just appreciate so much about him as a cine sober moviegoer is like his movies are some of my favorite to watch because I care about the dialogue in such a way that I don't in a lot of movies. And this movie I think, you know, is probably my favorite Tarantino movie. Um, I didn't have that connection with Pulp Fiction because I was so cine sober when I saw it the first time. So maybe it's just a rewatch thing, but for right now, this is my favorite and it's like, it just takes me there. It makes me feel like a cowboy or an outlaw or a bandit or, you know, whatever in this kind of, small middle of Wyoming blizzard. And I love that. And I don't often get to have that experience in a movie. And the fact that I did, and I continue to do that even when I'm at home watching it, you know, on our TV and the couch and sitting on my phone and goofing off if I'm in the middle of it or whatever, like the fact that I can still maintain that experience and that joy watching this movie, I think says a lot about it. Um, and how well they've crafted this, you know, he's crafted this world. Um, and I'll say that I, I really loved, um, the Damagu character, you know, I, I, we talked a lot about how not like, you know, I'm not, you got a little crush. No, not that. I just, I just thought that she did such a great job with her performance. I don't know the actress's name because I never know Jennifer anyone's Jason name. Lee. That one. Good. Um, remember you, the great Jennifer Jason Lee. Huh? Yeah. Remember good times. Yeah. That yeah. 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 Um, I, I just think she did such a fantastic job of playing this like psychotic, like whatever criminal who like, I don't know. It's just, I, I loved it. I loved everything about it. Yeah. And every t- you know, we talked about how, you know, we, we, you know, she was getting punched and kicked or whatever for, for these kind of funny moments and stuff. But I think knowing how the movie ends, right. You see this bloodbath, everyone's dead, blah, blah, blah. Like knowing that leading up to everything, she knows she's going to be rescued. It makes those little moments of like when she gets punched and she's like laughing, it's like, Oh, like you're just, you're taking this all in. Cause in your mind, you're about to murder every, like, I just, I love picking that apart and it makes her performance so much more enjoyable for me in those moments. Um, I just, I think she was great. I mean, everyone's great. The entire cast is fantastic, but she really sold it for me. In yeah, creating yeah. This, like psychotic woman character who was just amazing. And it should be noted that I think she's the only performer in the film that actually got a word consideration for her That's performance. Right. Best supporting actress yeah. did not win. Yeah. But, uh, this, this film did win uh, best original screenplay, right? Yeah, didn't win Best Original Score as well. 
Oh, maybe it did. I, I know it was nominated, but uh, I don't recall. It was I had to look at well, Actually, so. um, maybe maybe it was the Golden Globes that you know won, but maybe not the Oscar. I might be mixing them up. Yeah, original score doesn't usually go to the film that deserves it. So uh, I do remember this film came out around the same time as The Revenant. Uh, the Revenant is a film that I do not care for. Um, and I was very upset that this was it not got, nominated for Best Picture, but The Revenant was. But, uh, you know, that's how it goes. For Oscars, it won Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures, and then it got nominated for Best Performance by an Actress and Best Achievement in Cinematography. Mm, oh, go. and that's one thing I forgot to bring up as well. is This is my first movie ever seen in, like, the 70mm kind of style. It was amazing. I loved every part <laughs> of it. Seeing it in the big screen, like, in the theater, and that experience was incredible. Well, we could go on and on about the Hateful Eight. We've only really scratched the surface, but uh, as we wrap things up, let's turn this to uh, feedback from listeners and friends of the show, starting with um, best friend of the show, Kimber Myers. Now, we sent Mm. out a tweet, and we asked, hey, what do you think of the Hateful Eight? Give us your letter grade and your thoughts. Kimber Myers is not a fan of this film. Um, So, nice balance take here. So, Kimber Myers gave it a C-, and she said... My least favorite Tarantino and the film that makes me question him as both a filmmaker and a human being. Um, I really want to hear more of her thoughts on this. I'm probably going to ask her about it and, and get her take. But yeah, definitely far more negative than us. And uh, very interesting to hear that. Um, another friend of the uh, show, Ethan Edgehill. Ethan gave it a C. Um, and he said, not Tarantino's best, in my opinion. It lacked the cinematography and panache and gripping story expected from his films. Kurt Russell gave a surprisingly nice performance, despite being Kurt Russell. Surprising. Which I don't understand. It's Kurt Russell. It's, yeah, yeah, man. I, He's Santa Claus now in the new Netflix movie that's coming out. Also, He Ethan, can do anything. Ethan, saying that, Taranti- <laughs> saying that The Hateful Eight lacked cinematography, you can say a lot of negatives about this film, and I won't give you a lot of trouble. But <laughs> the cinematography in this film is absolutely stupendous, in my opinion. But <laughs> regardless. Yeah. Although he did say Morricone deserved his Oscar. Uh, of course, Ennio Morricone, who did the soundtrack. Uh, some of his best work saves the film. And then Space Face gave it a C. Said, I consider this film solid evidence of my thesis that it is now virtually impossible for any film to be better received than its trailer. And it's interesting that Space Face brought this up. Well, if Space Face said that, then <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta rewrite my thesis. It is. Yeah, that's, it's a good <laughs> thesis. I like it. I, it is interesting because it, did you guys rewatch the trailer for this? Because I did. No, I, I it's haven't. It's so uh, deceiving. Really? It really, it's got this like guitar riff, like you're going to watch like a Foo Fighters music video Tarantino film. <laughs> and it is 100% amazing. not what you're in for. Let's yeah. pitch that. Um, okay, then uh, we, we got some slightly more positive reviews. Um, we got a, let's see, so we got a B from Aaron Onish. Aaron said, not as interesting or witty as it thinks it's is and it takes its damn time for sure but that combination of cinematography and score are gorgeous um and then brandon katz gave it a b plus yeah he was on our deadpool episode he said even a weak tarantino effort is better than 90 percent of the drivel out there as you gorge yourself on his crackling dialogue dark sense of humor and clever plotting uh charlie hmm. ridgely from comicbook.com another friend of the show said uh oh, people are going to disagree with this uh, I give it a B plus. I think it is one of Quentin Tarantino's most underrated films. He took what worked in Reservoir Dogs and used a bigger budget to make a grander <laughs> movie. Score and scope are perfect, and I think it might be his single best script to date. And I was so happy to read that, Charlie, because you and I completely agree on that one. Cool. 
Um, and then I did, a, I, I got a couple more here and then we'll wrap things up. But, uh, Antonio said, I rather enjoyed it. He gave it a B plus, but once Channing showed up, it took a turn. And I know a lot of people don't really like the minis haberdashery. Did I say that right? Haberdashery? We can just leave it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm neutral on this. I, I do kind of think, yeah, you could have taken it out and you wouldn't have really lost anything. But I was so enamored with the film that I didn't mind seeing more and more and more. And there are, we didn't say this, there are two versions of this where it's like over three hours because they add in, instead of the intermission, you actually see what happens in between chapters, uh, I think, four and five. Right. So they, they actually go, they show you like how they all discussed if it was a murder and like there's no narration. And I do think, okay, I, I like the idea of not having narration in there. But uh, for me, it still works as a movie, but we don't have to get into all that. And then last, uh, we have another friend of the show, Robbie Akan. Robbie has been on um, Now Conspiring, the podcast we referenced earlier. Uh, Robbie oh, yeah. has said, A minus. So the closest to where. Uh, most of us are at over here on the show said some of the detective work isn't done so that the audience can work it out themselves and the whole one woman in the group cliche needs to die but it is beautiful funny and I enjoyed the ending um, yeah yeah there, there were two other female characters in this movie who show up in the flashback but that's it uh, you know Dumber and Gears, they both die they both die well everyone dies in this movie Basically, yeah. 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 <laughs> Is there anyone who survives? No. Yeah, so. no one survives, yeah. I think every character is shown. Not unlike Sting. That's right. That's right. Well, the dog survives. Mm-hmm. I sort of. Oh, well. That's, yeah. Is the dog really a character? And then the dog Spoilers makes it into, uh, what was it? Was it just called The Thing? The, the Mary Elizabeth Weinstead one? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah, watch yeah. the remake. I heard it was terrible. It's not a remake. It's like a prequel. Yep. Is it really? Oh, maybe I should have seen it, it. Well, that's the thing. Is well, it's like a. It's both. It's kind of have its cake and eat too. Like it's technically a prequel, but they they do the same thing as the original, just from a different like uh, lodging area or something. So it's weird. It's a weird movie. All right. Well, <laughs> but the dog like. But the dog goes from like the one and then runs into the new thing, and that's how the movie ends. So I, they save you time. Say, I don't want to go off a tangent because uh, we're about out of time here. But uh, gentlemen. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I hope we can talk about more Tarantino films in the future. It doesn't have to be around Thanksgiving, but that would be kind of a kick. Tarantino's Giving or something like that. I don't know. Give it a, give it a clever na- cleverer name than that. But uh, thank you, and uh, thanks again to Wit for recommending this film to talk about. Uh, before we close out, does anybody have one more stray thought that they want to add um, about The Hateful Eight? Uh, Channing Tatum got a very funny reaction in the theater I saw. Because when his name came up in the credits, someone, in, I'll never forget this, someone in the audience said, oh boy, Channing Tatum's in. <laughs> I do remember you so referenced for- that on the, <laughs> I just listened to that episode, yeah. Oh, yeah. Michael. So for that uh, reason. I think it was I Adonis really- who said that, is what we concluded. <laughs> Where's Michael Madsen been? He's been on the set of the next Tarantino film, probably. Probably, yeah. I haven't yeah, seen him in a long time, time in Hollywood. Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. I don't even know if he's going to be in that, but yeah, it's been a while. Did they ever find out who leaked the script? I don't think so. But I heard uh, it was like it was it was between him and Bruce Dern's camp. I, that's why I remember hearing as a rumor. Well, I don't like all this gossip you're throwing out here and uh, trying to get people to turn against Bruce Dern. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, like, I, I don't know if they ever officially, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Let's end the show. 
Yeah, that'll do it for this uh, bonus episode of Cinemaholics. You can find more episodes of our show on Adam Insider slash AdamTickets.com. And uh, you can find full episodes as well. We'll see you again after Thanksgiving break. But thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, from the Internet, California, I am John Grooney. From the Internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Lush. From somewhere in a basement, Maverick. <laughs> and from the Internet, Colorado, I'm Sam. See you next time.